This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Age of Radio. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. All right. Welcome to the latest episode of Mysterious Circumstances, where I am interviewing author Keith Linder. And before I get to those details of the interview and what his book is about... I'm going to thank new Patreon subscribers and read reviews on the next episode, but if you want to go check Patreon out, you can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. All the tiers are there. I think there's like an extra 90 episodes on there now. We put out three a month, all different kinds of various topics, so there's a little bit of something in there for everybody. And I also do have uh, a few new reviews to read, so I do appreciate everybody leaving those as well. And like I said, those will be read on the next episode. So Keith Linder wrote a book called The Bothell Hell House, Poltergeist of Washington State. And I'll be honest, he's done numerous interviews. He's been featured on television shows, this, that, and the other. But I will be honest with you, this is a fascinating story, and it's extremely detailed. Keith and his girlfriend ended up getting this house in 2012. They lived there until 2016. And within a week, like almost immediately, they started experiencing all this kind of activity. What makes his story so astonishing is all the evidence that has been collected about it as well. They are still going through all the evidence that they have collected over the course of those years. That's how much shit happened. So, sit back and enjoy the Bothell Hell House and my interview with Keith Linder. But yeah, welcome to Mysterious Circumstances. Got a great interview for you guys here today about a great poltergeist case. We have Keith Linder on with us. He is the author of The Bothell Hell House, Poltergeist in Washington State. You've also been featured on TV shows, which we can get to later on. But this is a very intriguing case for me personally because it's a newer one. And there's still a lot of, like you had previously mentioned, a lot of data, a lot of evidence still getting combed through and new revelations coming every day. I would like to start with... Were you a paranormal person before this? Did you have any experiences as a kid? Or did you just, you know, get a good deal on a nice house and 
everything started popping off, you know? Uh, yeah, to the latter. Um, you know, I, I tell people, and it almost sounds cliche, but it's true. Me and Tina, uh, we had no brush or experience or interest with the paranormal. Uh, we were just living our daily, you know, lives. Uh, we were a couple, uh, had been together two years. I had just gotten a huge job promotion, started at a new company. I'm, I'm in the IT field, but uh, I was in IT healthcare back then. And um, yeah, we found this house on Craigslist. I mean, we said no to plenty of other houses, but this one we both liked. And, um, you know, you go look at it, meet the homeowner, the landlord, and uh, we liked it on the spot, made an offer. He accepted uh, a few weeks later, you know, we moved in and things jumped off rather quickly, uh, knowing, you know, I didn't know then, but what I know now, that's pretty unusual for Portuguese cases. Normally, tenants have been in the home a while and it's been a dramatic change in the either the house environment or one of the house occupants. Normally, a stressful environment has been introduced, a change in lifestyle, but this is a brand new home. And by brand new home, I mean, we moved in 2012 and the home was built in 2005, as was the neighborhood. It's about 80 plus homes surrounding the Bothell house, all built around the same time. But yeah, to answer your question, no, no Ouija board playing around with, no Bloody Mary, no sage or smudging. It was just working the nine to five and going home and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an Xbox guy, so I was always on the Xbox. and So, yeah, and lo and behold, levitating furniture. Go figure, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a shock, man, especially for such a newer home. There's just so many, like we were talking before recording, there's just so many moving parts and there's so many dynamics that are going into this. I find it hard to debunk, and that's not really what I'm known for, but people know if I cover something, I'm going to point out some of the most obvious stuff or say, you know, hey, the history of the house does not match the ghost stories that are happening or whatnot, in which you're a technology guy, which I also find fascinating because you obviously have a very logical mind. You're in tune with technology, so... When I was hearing a little bit, I didn't listen to too much, but I listened uh, to a couple of your interviews and just tidbits, and that was the one thing that caught me off guard. I was like, well, this guy isn't a normal paranormal type guy who just happens to move into this house, and lo and behold, it's it, you know, there's all this activity going on, but um, so, so I guess my main question is, how and when did it start? Uh, started on day one. I mean, we moved in. Uh, well, by day one, I mean the day we went to sign the the papers to the house and do the whole handshake and exchange uh, or giving the keys to the house. That was May first, two thousand twelve, and the homeowner left. So it's just me and Tina in the home. Home is empty. There's nothing in the home. So we're in the downstairs, and like most people do, we're just. So sort of getting the feel of the home, talking to ourselves, saying what's going to go where. You know, we got to get some movers in here. We got to get some boxes. Okay, you handle the U-Haul. I handle, you know, the power company. You call da 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 And out of the clear blue, in the middle of me and Tina's conversation, we heard a kid cough. Now, it was very loud, but the interesting thing about this kid cough was 
me as soon as me and Tina heard it, we looked at each other. We we're already talking to each other, but we looked at each other and we like, was that a kid cough? I mean, you're in a home by yourself, right? There's two of you. There's no appliances. There's no TV all in another room. There's no radio. The windows are closed. You shouldn't be hearing movement, let alone voices coming from a room upstairs. And we have no kids. Yeah. We have no pets. But it, it was very loud because we said it to each other. We asked the question, was that a kid cough? And it was weird. We didn't go searching for it. It definitely sounded like it came from one of the upstairs bedrooms. But we were so house high, neophytes to the paranormal, to where we just shrugged it off, which is a natural response. Obviously, we misheard something. But man, that sounded like a kid cough. But (laughs) there's no kid in the house, so enough. We're not going to belabor that all night. Yeah. So we left (laughs) it alone. You know, left it alone, get back to talking about the house. Fast forward a week or two. Now I'm moving in. Things are coming in slowly but surely. And I started noticing items missing. By items, I mean my spare car keys or car fob, as we say, uh, was gone. And these were something that I knew or never used. I kept them in a glove box in a in a compartment in my other apartment before moving. And I went to retrieve an item, and I noticed it, they were gone. And these are keys I never used. And Tina would come to me at uh end of the day, hey, have you seen my jewelry? I'm missing jewelry, earrings, bracelet, necklace, you know, just one of, out of the two, making her pair, you know, insignificant. We thought, like I said, natural conclusion, wow, we, we're some horrible movers. Things get lost in the moving <laughs> process. Okay. And these things we hand walked over. I mean, you don't give your jewelry and stuff to the movers. You just hand walk that over in a little box. But the thing we both really started noticing missing was our silverware, the depleting of silverware. Now, what I know now, like I said, we're new to the paranormal, still new, was these are the early signs, what they call the the missing or the taking of objects. Generally, in other paranormal Portuguese reports of silverware, jewelry, car keys, so now we're having silverware, missing silverware, but we're still not close to screaming ghosts. We're still far from that. What was even more weird was the appearing of objects that neither one of us owned in the home, hmm. mainly kid toys. And that was coinciding with the disappearing of objects. So, example, Justin, you wake up in the morning and you go make a cup of coffee and in the middle of the staircase or, or kitchen counter or kitchen table or coffee table are these toys, all right, that we have no kids, so therefore we have no reason to have toys, and these toys are displayed in the open. So much to the point, the only conclusion you can come to is somebody's coming in while we're asleep. You know, mm-hmm. we were going to the neighborhood. This is, the, this is a weird prank. Wow, let's change the locks real quick on that one. And we did. But the phenomena didn't stop happening. And now we're waking up to kit toys. We're waking up to finding our kitchen cabinet doors wide open, all of them. It looks like somebody's been rummaging through both the kitchen cabinet or the kitchen closet. But nothing's missing. Nothing's out of order. They just, everything's just wide open. 
And then finally, the day where, uh, and I mentioned this in my book, where it was the truth of it all. Finally, we could scream Haunted House was the day we were watching a, t- a movie together, me and Tina, on, uh, we're sitting on the couch. We're about two months in. And now we're about two months living in the home. And this is about a week. It was a weekday. It was at night. And as we're watching TV, shoulder to shoulder on the couch, love seat, whatever. Tina has this four-foot-tall plant. It's a plant that she brought in with her. She placed on the entertainment center, next to the entertainment center. It sits on the floor. It's four feet tall. Out of the clear blue, it just darts up in the sky. Kid you not. It darts up in the air, does a 360-degree spin, and just falls to the ground in our direction. And we looking at it, because you have no choice. We're looking at the TV. It's right by the TV. And I remember Tina and I looking at her like, we didn't say much. We just like, did that just happen? Did that, I mean, forget the show we're watching. And even then, being slow to the to the ghost party was, we went to the plant versus run to our car. We walked to the plant, and we were looking for, like, a remote control device, something to give rise to, ah, this is a practical joke, ha, ha, ha. And we were waiting for the balloons and confetti to fall out the ceiling because <laughs> we thought, then, yeah, okay, this is okay. We found a house online, and this is some weird Big Brother in Seattle deal <laughs> yeah. pilot episode. And none of that happened. None of that happened. So then we came to the conclusion of, I think our house is haunted. And how we confirmed that was we went up to my office, Tina with me, and just typed in, because we didn't know anything about the paranormal test. We, we did. But, you know, Google is easily available, and I just typed a simple question. Yeah. How can you tell if your house is haunted? You know, simple, innocent question. And I kid you not, several paranormal websites had a, like a top 10, top five list of how can you tell if your house is haunted? And we passed with flying colors. <laughs> you know, it was like <laughs> yeah. items go missing. Well, what kind of items go missing? Car keys, <laughs> trinkets, jewelry, all silverware, items appearing that neither one of you own. You know, well, what kind of items? You know, trinkets, kid toys, jewelry, silverware. And then the other things that we have been experienced with, kitchen cabinet doors open, phantom footsteps, uh, feeling of being watched, and all that. And, and the, you know, the moving and the levitation of objects, which they said, not me, was, means if you're seeing that, then you're, you're leaving level one and entering level two phase. And we were like, Whoa, yeah, whoa, sure. okay. So there's <laughs> levels to hauntings. And here we were two months in. And I know, and I, and I, and I sort of, and I, and I make a funny story out of it now, but it wasn't funny then. How I believe, and I mentioned in my book, of how the spirits were just saying, these guys are just slow to the party. They, I mean, we're going to have to do something to make them realize it's about to be game on. <laughs> you know, because they're just yeah. slow yeah. walking this haunted house <laughs> thing. And, um, now, let's just do this. Let's levitate the plant in front of them. That way, there's no deniability. And once we saw the plant levitate, we knew then, I mean, there's, there's no way plants don't levitate. I, I don't care what planet you live on, particularly Earth. They don't by themselves. And there was no wire or hitting fishing line or, or anything. Uh, it's Tina's plant. plant wasn't here when we got here. So I've seen this plant 100 times at Tina's other apartment. Um, never levitated there. But now it's levitating here. And I kid you not, from that day on was when the activity became a daily occurrence. And by a daily occurrence, the loud banging, the throwing, I kid you not, the throwing of small, medium, large objects. 
I mean, we could be having supper, dinner. Hey, how was your day? Oh, how was your day? Oh, da 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 da, da. traffic sucked, da 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 da. And a plant would go zooming across the room, crash upon the wall upon impact. Obliterated, it's gone. It's obliterated. Pop. And yeah, that that, that became a daily occurrence. What was your initial steps after that? I mean, and what did Tina think? Was she like, we need to move right now or we need to get to the bottom of this because I love this house. We want to stay here. What were your initial steps after determining, hey, we have a problem here. How are we going to solve it? Well, the uh, we took the advice of the internet, of the paranormal websites, to, and all of them at that time, at that phase, led us to believe, and we sort of led ourselves to believe that we had a kid ghost. And the internet was saying, hey, you probably got a lost spirit. It happens. What you can do is sort of talk to them, ask them what they want, ask them to leave or be quiet. Don't yell, don't shout. You're going to have to be like put on a parental role. And these spirits usually will get bored, tire themselves out, and leave. That's what the that's what the advice was given on many websites. And it seemed like that's okay, me and T, we were not scared about the phenomena yet. Okay. We really liked the house. Me and Tina, we really liked the house. The loud banging was weird. It was nerve-wracking. But the advice given from the internet was, hey, these things take time. You don't want to put an ultimatum down, that'll make matters worse. And we did it. But give us some time. And we're like, okay, we, we can, you know, right now it's no, it's no harm, no foul yet. And, and we did. And the other advice given was have the house blessed. And we did. We called local churches. Churches came in. Preachers, ministers came in. They blessed every room in the house, particularly the rooms that had the most activity. And that would quell the activity for a few days. So you would think, ah, okay, it's quiet now. Day one, day two, day three. Ah, all right. Okay. Yeah. They're leaving. Yeah. Okay. And then Boom, boom, boom. You know, oh, on day four, oh, okay. Well, let's pray. Let's ask them to leave, cut it out, and get the church back over here. And the church said the same thing. The websites were saying, hey, it takes time. You may have more than one spirit here, you know, but, hey, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? So you, know, you got to be steadfast. And we were, and that's what we were trying to do. But um, little did we know, Every step we took to quiet the home and rid the home seemed to make matters worse or did make matters worse. And that's one of the weird fundamental characteristics of poltergeist is it's going to have to get worse, a lot worse, before it gets better. So you guys were just willing to tough it out then, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, long as, I mean, this is 2012. And when I tell people, the activity of 2012, meaning all of summer, all of fall, and the activity just mysteriously on its own came to an abrupt stop around November, December 2012. But I tell people that activity in 2012, I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, if it ended there, that would have been a lot of stuff for somebody to study for here to eternity. The activity that came back in 2004, 14, and notice I said 14, not 13, puts 2012 to bed. What would I rather experience 2012 or 2014? Oh, 2012 by far, not even close. 2014 came back with a vengeance. And we had no activity for the duration of 2013. We had no activity 
for 14 months. The activity stopped November of 2012. We went the entire year of 2013 of peace and quiet, which we thought, oh, they laughed, they got the message. Okay, we can finally enjoy our home. You know, a lot of people don't understand about this case. People make it look like Keith and Tina went public with their claims or the activity started the day the world came knowledge of our case. No, 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 no. When the world got knowledge of our case, which is, you know, as a result of the, of the Ghost of Richards episode, we had already lived in the house two years and already already experienced maybe nine to 11 months of activity. So it was not an instance of seeking attention. It's what naturally progresses in most Portuguese cases is you throw every resource imaginable at the phenomena, nothing's working. And finally it becomes so big, it attracts the media because the churches are at the wits and work with the Bothell Catholic Church, work with the Seattle Catholic Church. Everybody locally is at their wits end on this phenomenon. They're like, this is, we've done everything we've been trained to do. This is the Catholic Church talking to where now we got to expand our horizon and get other resources in. So naturally that's going to attract national, international attention and bring some people our way, both good and bad. And that's how the world came knowledge of our case. The media in the world didn't know about 2012. How could they? Because it was all kept local. We, we were dealing with local. But once it got cold to the media, and the media said, hey, we know some people who know some people who know some people. And that's how yeah. it became nationally known. So what do you think made the activity start up again, except worse this time? Uh, that's a good question. I have a theory. Um, I, I believe it's sound, um, especially after talking to the previous tenants who lived in the home five years before we did, who did have activity as well. In January 2nd of 2014, January 2nd, I was coming downstairs. I was in my office, giving my way, had no activity for a year or more. And I was coming downstairs to get a refill, I believe, a glass of water. And I remember slipping on the steps. I got to the midway landing and I slipped. It was about 12, 14 steps down. Bad fall, bad, horrible fall. I landed on my back, looked like a pretzel. And Tina was in the kitchen cooking and I'm screaming out to Tina, hey, I fell, it doesn't look too good. I'm thinking I'm in, I'm in pain, but I can wiggle my toes, I can wiggle my fingers. Long story short, I had taken me to the ER. I had tore torn my right patella tendon, which is your kneecap. And it requires surgery to reattach it. When you tell your kneecap, it's like a rubber band. It, it goes into your thigh muscle. Hurt, worst pain ever for me. But it requires surgery to reattach. And you're laid up for quite some time. I was laid up uh, for because you got to keep your knees straight uh, before and after surgery, especially after. For about two weeks, I was ironing board, so no movement whatsoever. So I'm confined to upstairs only. While Tina goes to work. I can't work anymore. I, I'm, I'm confined to home and I'm really confined to the bedroom. It was then as I was sleeping, had doped up on pain meds and I'm home by myself during the day. Tina's gone. She's got a gallon of water and chips or whatever, crackers by the bed if I need food because I cannot go downstairs. My knee is horrible. So I started waking up in the middle of taking naps of hearing rummaging through the kitchen. Like somebody was 
in the downstairs. So I would call out, Tina, are you home? Maybe Tina came home early or, or something. And it was so loud, it woke me up a few times that I, I literally a few times grabbed my, my crutches and hopped to the, the landing outside my bedroom door. It's a two-story home. And looked over and cried out, Tina, is that you? Is that you? And then the rummaging would stop. You know, like kitchen cabinet door slamming open wide would stop. But by the time I got back to bed, they would resume. Or I would hear tapping on the headboard behind my head. I'd be sleeping and I hear this tapping. Or scratching. Like scratching on my headboard, kid you not. So this was February, March of 2014, while I'm mending or on the mend. And I would tell Tina when she come home, I would tell Tina or call her. Sometimes I would say, Hey, are you are you are you downstairs? Are you home? Did you come home early? Or I would tell her when she come back from work about how my day was. But when the uh, I think it was late March, early April, I think it was a Sunday, we were sleeping, and uh, in the middle of the night, we heard this loud crash, this loud crash, the loudest crash we've heard since living in the Bothell home. And I got up, rose up, went to the bedroom door, opened up the door, and they're leaning in the wall, not on the wall, leaning in because it was a gash, was our armoire, this giant wooden armoire had been thrown from one side to the other and left a huge gash in the hallway wall. So now we got, you know, a, a hole in the wall and an armor that's leaning over like the Eiffel Tower. So now Tina, I mean, Tina busts out in tears because we both know that they're back. Armoires don't move by themselves. They definitely don't traverse from one side of the hallway to the other. And I tell people this armoire was heavy. I'm a big guy, I'm six foot five, two fifty pounds. It took three of me, three guys my size, to bring that thing upstairs, and it was so hard to bring it upstairs. We hate it. I always tell Tina, I hate moving this thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. She's like, if we sit it over here, I hope this is where you want it. Oh no, put it over there. <laughs> this thing is heavy, and it's one of those things that's so bulky. We had these, we had these spiraling stairs. It was just it was horrible to carry upstairs. You can't really take it apart. You got to carry it whole. And I hated that thing. But the bunch of guys made mincemeat out of it because they would toss it like it was candy. And you did not want to be in the path when it went flying. But it would leave huge damages to the wall. And from that day, they were back. And now the same websites I told you about earlier also said, you know, once you migrate from, okay, you don't have a kid ghost anymore. You have a malevolent haunting scratch everything we told you previously. If they leave but come back, it's going to be worse than before. And that was our fear. And when they came back, that's what I was telling you about 2014, put 2012 to bed because they resumed where they left off. It was every day now of large objects being thrown. I mean, things, projectiles, things that if they hit you on impact, they're going to hurt. They're going to leave some damage to you, to you. And we knew then we were in trouble. So we start calling the churches who, to the credit, said, call us if you need something. But like I said, they themselves, nobody's seen this before. I mean, these are things you read about and dusted off books that are, you know, rusted pages and torn pages in a an abandoned library. You're like, oh, that happened in 1340 or, or 1550 or, or whatever. But no, this is happening in a suburb of Seattle, Bothell, Washington, 20 minutes northeast of Seattle, 
in a newly built home with two with two people, Keith and, and a Tina, and it, it it was just it just riddles the mind. So to answer your question, I believe my fall triggered or brought back the activity, and how I know that for certain is fast forward even more two years, two and a half years, is when parapsychologist Steve Mara and Don Phillips came to live in the home and did multiple, you know, EVP sessions, Q&A and whatnot. One of the voices that they captured or they asked was, did you or did somebody push Keith down the stairs? Because that's one of the things I wrote in my journal. I never said Portuguese or ghost pushed me down the stairs. All I can say is I fell. It was weird. I don't know why I would fall then. Or I never fell before, never fell since. It was over before it began. But if you ask me if a ghost pushed me, I can't tell you 100%. All I can tell you it was weird. Well, let's ask them. Steve Marandolph, Phillips did, because, you know, as an investigator, everybody wants to know, where is this going, okay? Where is this Bible burning, writing on the wall, the, the heckling of Keith and Tina? Where is this going? What's the ultimate goal, spirits? Talk to them. What do, what do y'all want? What do y'all want? Y'all want to die? Y'all want to leave? Y'all want, what, what do y'all want? So they asked him, did y'all push Keith down the stairs? And the answer they got on the voice recorder was, yes, we pushed him down the stairs. They used we. And when Steve walked up to me with that recorder, they said, hey, yeah, this is, <laughs> your answer's two years late, but here, here, here it is. That went through my mind because it was, I was, it's a weird shock to hear that. And I tell people, it's not so much the answer, that shocked me or made me very uncomfortable. It was the the audacity in the speech, you know? It was the how they answered and replied, yeah, we did it. Yeah. So what? Yeah, what? Yeah, we did it. We'll do it again. That's why I that's what I heard when they said, Yeah, we pushed him down the stairs. I don't know, man. That would be pretty damn unsettling for me personally. <laughs> I will ask, have you heard, ever heard the theory and do you believe that possibly the new malevolent spirits were actually disguising themselves as children the first time around to basically just to get your attention to see what you would do? Because I don't know, with child spirits, there's a, there's a more empathy factor. You know, you're, you might be a little bit more sympathetic oh, it's just a friendly kid, it's fine, no big deal. Do you think that might have been the case first time around? Uh, I think some of that has played into that. And like I said, it was interesting that we heard the kid cough on day one. Uh, a male, a child, a male, a boy, a boy kid cough on day one. I later learned, once we discovered who the previous tenants were, that they had a sick child about that age of that cough whose room was my office, okay? The child at that time, I believe was six, seven, maybe eight years old, and his room was my office. And the child, according to the mother, would come to her, still did to the day that I reached out to her, which was 2014, that he still or was seeing shadowy figures out the corner of his eye while both living in the home that we now occupy as well as where they lived at the time I contacted, uh, which is five, six years later. But he was still seeing shadowy figures. Also, uh, and this is on my YouTube channel, uh, anyone listening today can Google on YouTube, Demons in Seattle-3. 
the U.S. paranormal researchers led by Nikki Novelli and uh, Carissa Hartley lived in the home for five weeks, conducted an EVP session outside of the Bothell home on the patio. And one of the questions asked was, are there any shadow people out here? And dead quiet, dead quiet. And then they asked again, how many? And when you replay the voice recorder, a child, a boy child, says three. I kid you not. There are three shadow people or beings out here. So, yeah, I can tell you out of all the EVPs, the scientific establishment of parapsychology, which is led by Steve Merritt, parapsychologist Steve Merritt, come out of the UK. When they lived in the Bothell home, and this is the key word here, lived in the Bothell home, I believe it was eight days their first time around, captured or kept, I should say kept, kept and captured over 430 EVPs, considered Class A, Class B. They captured Class C and Class D. They just discarded those. They said those are not even worth debating. We'll never make anybody a believer off those. It's just poor quality. But the ones we got and we'll stick by it to the end of time are these Class A and Class B EVPs. And between the 430-odd that time and 130-something-odd, their second trip, so we got nearly oh, nearly 600 EVPs, Class A, Class B, they pulled out 11 different voices, meaning dialect, male, female, child, male, child, female, young male, young female, older male, older female, four different distinct voice patterns. I mean, 11 distinct voice patterns. And a majority of them uh, had an Irish uh, or Native American dialect. So, so yeah, I, I believe, uh, I can tell you without a doubt, uh, malevolent spirits, Portuguese included, are expert mimickers. They can mimic like none other. And how we know that is because there were times I'd be in my office and I hear my name called Keith. Keith, come here. I go running around the house looking for Tina. I think she called me. Tina, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah, what, yeah, I can have, what do you want? I didn't call you. So they, they, they were mimicking Tina's voice and vice versa. Tina would be coming. Hey, you call me, what do you want? You know, I was taking a shower, washing my hair, and you called me, what do you want? I'm like, I didn't call you. So they can mimic my voice and make it sound just like me and mimic Tina's voice and make it sound just like her and make the other person respond to that. I, I think people don't really understand how powerful that is, you know? When it was just me and Tina in the home, and I'm so glad, I'm so, because it makes our it makes my job easier as far as telling this true story, all caps. I'm so glad we did not have children in the home. One of the things, you know, would, that would have been easy to, to debunk this case was, because I, I read a lot of Portuguese cases and, and I see the skeptics and the cynics and all that. The thing they always cling to and without evidence, they just cling to it. They use Ockman's razor or whatever. And like, oh, that's why, that's why it's the girl, it's the child. Is they say the kids are in on it. Oh, the kids are doing it. Yeah. Sally, little Johnny, they're doing it. <laughs> you know, and. And then yeah. <laughs> you got five kids and, you know, so what do you say to that? You know, and then you're like, well, it's plausible, but not necessarily make it true, but it's plausible. 
you know, do you get you ask little Johnny or little Sally a question and they give you a little snarky answer like, oh maybe. But they, they, they're just kids. They're just like because they, they see how they see the attention they're getting. Like, oh yeah, I've been all this attention. Give me candy. Yeah, I'll tell you, I threw an iron board. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. Not necessarily that they did, but we had no children. It was just two adults, grown adults in a home with a portrait. I don't know if there's ever been a documented Portuguese case where that dynamic was there. It's always family. Usually, yeah. Family, husband, yeah. wife, children, daughter, son, anything, you know, Bell Witch House, Enfield, all these other famous cases. There's a house full of children. So the skeptics come in and, oh, yeah, it's one of the kids, guys. Yeah, you, you, you got some crazy kids. But for me and Tina, people couldn't really go there with us. They, they, they would try, but they're like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I know Keith all his life. He's a pretty solid guy. And Tina, you know, we're just working individuals, you know, in our late 40s at the yeah. time. The way Ghost Adventures tries to sell it, Zach, is mm-hmm. all of a sudden this successful guy, IT guy in Seattle, gets a house and wakes up with the idea, hey, let's fake a honey. You know, it's just, yeah, let's burn three Bibles <laughs> ourselves and write it on a wall, yeah. put this black stuff on. And keep in mind, we don't own this house. I always tell people, we don't own this house. So when I say fire is erupting in the room and it's, it's doing damage to the wall, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage. Yeah. Okay, to a home yeah. that I don't even own. <laughs> yeah, and you guys, two people just randomly like, hey, let's get attention the worst way possible and destroy our yeah. house doing it. Great yeah. idea, you know. And yeah. <laughs> Forgetting that- the fact that I got to go to work in the morning and people who I work with see me on the news well, that's that key. That's that guy who burns his own house down. Like, who, who, who goes to work like that? You know? <laughs> He's burning yeah, Bibles. Oh, hey, Keith, how you doing? Want some Starbucks? You know, who burns their own house and let alone three Bibles and goes to work in the morning? Like, hey, let's go happy hour. Oh, I may get on the elevator with you, Keith. You guys, I mean, HR will be calling me, walking me out the door. You know, so <laughs> exactly. I, I, it's, it's funny, you know, not to go on a tangent, but it, it's just funny how. They don't think this stuff through the dog hoax. Oh, yeah, you know, but not thinking the full picture. Do you even hear yourself speak? Your debunking sounds more ludicrous than my true story. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's the problem a lot of time with the debunkers, man, is they they grasp at every single straw that they can find, whether it makes sense or not, because they personally do not believe in it. And it's like, listen, just because you don't believe in it or you've never seen it yourself doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like, have you ever yeah. seen a billion dollars in cash? No. You know what? Still exists, even though you haven't you know seen it. Exists. it. Yeah. yeah. You know what exists? <laughs> if you tell me $2 trillion stacked on top of each other would touch the moon, I'm cl- I'm inclined to believe you. You yeah. know, I would never <laughs> see two trillion dollars stacked on top of each other, but I know it exists. Got to thank our sponsor for this episode, Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasters to sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and way more. I've personally been on Podcorn for probably about a year now, I want to say, and I have really no bad things to say about it. The One of the things that I really like about Podcorn is when you submit for a sponsorship, you can either type your message out 
or they have a microphone button. You can just press the microphone and say it, which for me is great because it saves time. And for those podcasters who have those amazing voices, that does help as well. And with Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can sit there and browse through all these opportunities right on this platform. You can set your own price rates. You can collaborate with brands directly. And you never give up any rights to your podcast. And Podcorn is also there to support you. And they are there for every step to ensure that you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for the brands. The whole marketplace mission of Podcorn is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when you monetize your podcast. Like I said, I've been on there for a while. I've gotten some opportunities from there. They work very well with you. It's a very easily navigated site as well, which is great for me because even though I'm a podcaster, not great with tech, it helps out having that easy site that you can just browse through all these opportunities and you have all these different options for all these different sponsorships. Like I said, it is super easy You don't pay anything. You sign up. You browse sponsorship opportunities for stuff that fits your show. Really doesn't get any easier than that. So, go click the link in my show notes, sign up to Podcorn, and start browsing for all of your sponsorship opportunities today. So, let me ask you, though. um, You touched on it for, for a split second about writings on the wall. What was that all about? Because I heard it a little bit in an interview while I was working that you had previously done, and that one kind of struck me. I was like, all right, that's kind of weird. And then along with that answer, I was going to also ask, once you got the paranormal groups and uh, parapsychologist Stephen Mara is nothing to frown at, like he's a documented guy— they started getting into the history, and because the house was newly built in 2005, there's not a long history of the house, but there might be of the land. So I guess it's a two-part question there, and can you kind of elaborate on some of that? Yeah, so the wall writings um, began uh, summer, well, late spring, early summer 2014. Just like all other Portuguese phenomena, ours included, Everything starts off gradually. Uh, what I mean by that in, in regards to wall writings, the first wall writings we began to witness or experience was you come home, your house is in disarray, it's destroyed. By then I've erected cameras in every room. I'm trying to catch the phenomena in real time. I'm failing miserably. But the house hasn't been ransacked, torn asunder. You fix it up, patch everything back up, they do it again. But this time there's writing on the wall. And by the first wall writers were the upside down crosses, meaning my office. There'd be an upside down cross drawn on the wall behind my computer and an upside down cross drawn on the carpet and on the back of the door itself. And this happens several times. You clean it up with warm water and soap. No, no big deal. What was it drawn with? Do you know? Uh, the first few times was black ash, sage ash, ash okay. from a sage stick, which we had. And we were advised to smudge and sage often. But what the Portuguese does, it takes the whatever means you are using to get rid of it and throws it back in your face. So we would come home. When I left to go to work that morning, my sage stick might have been 11 inches. I come back home, it's about seven inches. And there's ash all over the wall and the floor. And it uses that. 
So we will wipe that down. I think about 10 minutes, 20 minutes tops to clean that up. Now, with new cameras installed, because the other ones are missing or destroyed by the poacher guys, it's using different substances now. It's, it's, it's stopped using the stage stick. It's using substances that are more difficult to remove, okay? Warm soap and water is not going to cut it now. Now we got this black oil-like substance. I tried soap and water. That doesn't work. This requires paint. Now I'm going to have to paint over this. And if you paint over something, you know, you got to move stuff around. You got to go to the paint store. You got to buy buckets. You got to buy primer. You got to buy tools. Now I'm painting over this stuff because the advice given from the churches and the local clergy and it's good advice is you don't want this stuff languishing on your walls. It's going to make the spirit stronger. It's going to call in reinforcements. You know, you want to get off your walls as soon as possible. Well, it's paint, though. So we would paint over that. And I kid you not, they would just do it again and again. And every time they would do it again, they would always add another wall to the you know, They start off on one wall, then they went to two, then they went to three. Then it's four walls on all four walls now. They went to the door. They went to the closet door. That's why you see some of the markings on the closet door. And you see some markings on the ceiling. Like, oh, boy, it's on the ceiling now. That's going to really be a pain to remove. It's on the ceiling. How do they even do that? You know? Yeah. So that was the, the wall markings. And that went on for about the duration from summer all the way to December of 2014. The wall marking stuff. In conjunction with the wall markings were the fires, obviously, that erupted, uh, the three Bibles that, that caught fire, and other things. So everything is happening simultaneously. It's the worst thing ever. The history of the land, or the history of Bothell, I should say, start coming into play, I think it was mid-2015, early 2016, of... What is this black oil made out of? Number one, what is it made out of? When you touch it, it doesn't feel like normal paint. Also, the symbol, one of the symbols drawn was an upside down man. Okay? That looked, that was very interesting. And yeah, one can Google, and I did, what does that mean? Upside down stick figure. And that's a Native American symbol. It means a man has died. Or a man is about to die. The about to die scared me because I'm like, whoa, what are y'all saying? What are y'all, yeah. you know? But yeah. that's easily researchable. That's not keep just, I'm not spouting off anything. Anybody can Google that and get the same answer. Okay, so that's interesting. Man's about to die. Man is, so if a man died, oh, did somebody die in the house? We, looked, we researched, we didn't find anybody died in the house. Did somebody die on the property, the land? We didn't find anything. We looked and searched, but, you know, records are records. So when we researched the city of Bothell or the county, we found that, yeah, there were Native Americans who once lived in Bothell, still do. And there was, in the mid-1800s, multiple Native Americans, multiple tribes. And in the mid-1800s, there was a smallpox outbreak that decimated the entire Pacific Northwest, including Bothell. 500 Native Americans lost their life in the city of Bothell, because it wasn't called Bothell at the time, but same geographic coordinates. And over 500,000 to 1.5 million died Native Americans in the Pacific Northwest. 
And if you look at the websites where the upside down man symbol was drawn, I was talking about this last week to the SPR on a Zoom call. The upside down man is just not drawn for every Native American male that dies. That's not what it's drawn for. It's drawn specifically to establish, to inform an individual who should they ever trespass on a burial site and see that symbol, that this particular person, male, died, was either murdered or died of disease. And what are one of the diseases that they use that symbol for? Smallpox. So yeah. if you died, if Native American died of natural causes, you don't draw the upside down man symbol. No, if he died on a hunt, if he was hunting and he died, elk, whatever, deer, buffalo, whatever killed him, cougar, mountain lion, you don't draw that symbol. You draw the symbol if he was murdered, which is unjust, or smallpox and by disease, you know. Which a lot of times, the track record-wise, a lot of times, you know, they, they didn't get the smallpox just randomly either, unfortunately. Well, yeah, you know? we later learned in Bothell, as well as Pacific Northwest, the smallpox at that time, the vaccine being floated around, was purposely withheld from the Native American. Mm-hmm. They, they withheld it from them. And that's why I was going back to the 1.5 million that died, but 500 died in the in the, in the city of Bothell. And this is, like I said, how we found this out was spending countless hours in the county records office, the city records office, going through tons and tons of microfilm, which takes time. And, 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 I, and, yeah. and, I, and I spent 14 hours one day. And also one of the things we found was where the Buffalo home now sits in the early 1940s, there was a cabin there. There was a home. The only dwelling unit for miles was that lot. Now, we don't know what who lived there, that the trail grew cold, as you say. I'm still trying to find who lived in that cabin, but it was a cabin. And the records I pulled up and retrieved point to a cabin. And that was interesting. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, it's it'd be intriguing to find out what actually might have happened there, or what the place yeah. was used for, or something. Yeah, it would be. It, it, it would be pertinent information to know to talk to any family because you got to think nineteen forty odds are someone's still alive, and they can t- they would know yeah. off the you know, they would they would know off the top of their head as soon as you ask them. Hey, Kevin lived there. Bothell, what's up with that? You know, they would tell you. Oh yeah, da 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 da. So. I'm still looking. I'll find them soon. It, 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 it will, yeah, I'll find them soon. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, and like you had pointed out, a lot of times when you get into that old time research, that's the hard stuff, man. Because you got yeah. that, that's boots on the ground. You got to go. You got to go pull those dusty books and census records off the shelves, and oh, yeah. you know, hand go through them by hand, man. It takes time. Yeah, I'll go through the census and, and, and tap that address, and I'll, I'll get a name and a last name and, and find out. But it's like I said, it's painstakingly difficult and hard. It's not sexy, as you know, the paranormal TV shows make it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not yeah, CSI, definitely. and I'm going in there, and there's a black fan follow me as I'm tracking my whereabouts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, what are you doing digging into this case? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before we start getting into when, uh, you know, you guys started getting a lot, a lot of attention, you did mention the fact that you had set up technology to try to capture what was going on and you had seemingly failed 
at this every time, and that's always something that a skeptic like my like I'm a believer. I grew up with the par- the paranormal, so I'm I'm a believer, but I'm also a skeptic. And my whole thing is we live in the day and age of technology. You know what's what's the real scenario here? But I noticed that you said it never worked because your cameras would either end up missing or it wouldn't capture anything or something wouldn't work. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So when the phenomena started happening, even in 2012, being an IT guy and a sort of geek for technology, I knew and I was thinking to myself and I would tell Tina, man, because it's a wow factor for anybody, but it's a wow factor yeah. to those who never had a brush with the paranormal. So it's a wow factor when you can see objects levitate, float, zip by, zip line, figure eight, cartwheel, whatever in the air in front of you or go through solid objects in front of you. And you tell people, and me, I'm like, man, wouldn't it be cool to catch this on video? And, and, and people don't understand that because we try. I try. I'm a tech guy. I didn't have the, the equipment readily available. I had to go out and buy it. So I went online. I started buying, you know, what do you need to capture something like? Well, you need a motion camera. You need something that's going to pick up motion and take so many pictures per second and then Wi-Fi and send it all over the place. So I did all of that, you know, or you need to erect some video cameras in these places where the activity is happening. I did all that. You need to buy some SD cards and memory cards and all that stuff. And I did all that. And lo and behold, they would make mincemeat of that stuff. I mean, by that, I mean power battery drainage. Unplug a camera. I plug a camera on a tripod in the hallway because Bibles are flying left and right and come back and the camera's unplugged. Tina, did you touch the camera? Oh, I didn't go near your cameras. And once again, no kids in the house, so it's only me and Tina. And I know Tina didn't touch the cameras because where the cameras are, she's not going by them. Or this SD card is missing. I just put a brand new SD card, memory card in. Activity flies, a book or something flies across the camera. I'm like, oh, I got it. I got it. Yep. I walk to the camera. It's on. Oh, it's still aiming that direction. Oh, wow. I got it. Tina, I got it. I pull the memory card out. It's gone. The memory card is gone. <laughs> so they so they know. They, they know what me and others are trying to do. Why they're not? Because they're watching. See, one of the things, yeah. you know, it's hard for human beings like myself included. You know, we live in these, you know, three-dimension, right? Fourth dimension if you add time. So it's hard for us to imagine anything beyond science tells us our brain is hard to comprehend anything above four or five dimensions. We just because we live in a world every day where we don't get that stimuli. But that doesn't mean those dimensions don't exist. So when I put a camera or something in my house, I never dawned on me until after they take something that they're watching me do it. You know, I, I can tell you how many times I would get in debates over the phone with paranormal researchers and certain priests or so-called priests where they say, well, Keith, put a camera in the, in the plant, hide it. Put it in the ventilation system. That way they can't see it. And I'm like, listen, guy, listen. They see all that. They see that. Yeah. You might not see it. If you walk into my house, you might not know I got a camera in my ventilation system. Why? Because you can't see through walls. You can, they're invisible. They see that. I don't know where they're at. It's wrong for me to assume that the minute I'm sitting on my camera 
they're watching. It's not like they come home at a certain time. Are you done setting up your cameras? Can you hide and seek? Can we come out now and guess where your cameras are at? No, they know. And how we know that is when Steve and Don came, the, the investigators came and did the same thing, but they did something I never thought to do, but they did because they're smarter than me, was they put voice recorders around every electronic device. So they, were, they knew they were not going to get phenomena on camera, but they got the voices. And the voices were giving commentary while Stephen Darwin was setting up equipment. You hear these unexplained male voices talking about them, laughing at them, snickering. They're snickering, God, giggling. What it tells the other spirit, go get one, steal one, take one. And they do. You know, I would come back, the camera's gone. Well, they, they took it. Yeah. We got we got a lot of dings for well it's always off camera the phenomena your why is it over there top something gets thrown your camera pans away or you don't see it off screen or things like that and I can tell you why it's because when I have a hallway where objects are flying over here for three or four days straight I get my tripod and I aim the camera toward that direction where objects known to fly. Well, guess what the spirit does? It starts throwing objects on another area of the house that I never even considered, where objects never flew before, because it knows, well, we know you want to get us on camera, kid, but no. But to make you angry and frustrated, we're going to throw something in a room that you never thought it would even do. And that's what they do. So what I do, I go buy more cameras. And you become the cat chasing its tail, literally. I mean, <laughs> literally, you are the cat chasing your own tail, trying to get phenomena. That's why when people send me videos of YouTube videos, like, what do you think of this? When I, I see objects fly and plates and cups flying out of a cupboard board and all, I, I just smile and hey, nah, it's not like that, dude. It's, it, it's not yeah. like that. Who am I to criticize somebody else? But I'm going to tell you, from my experience, no. They will never let you catch the phenomena uh, in, in real time. But some, some, some good software will. Some good Adobe Photoshop software, you know, Adobe Flash. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, that was my experience with the cameras. Of plenty of them gone missing. Equipment malfunction, battery drainage, memory card missing, technical problems with the Wi-Fi. Well, to think that they're intelligent enough to give a response to a question during an EVP session but yet not intelligent enough to know you're standing around yeah. setting up cameras. It's kind of an oxymoron, you know? <laughs> it's like, why would they not know? Like, they watch my every move. <laughs> I have Mac address, Mac, your Mac address. Every device we have on the internet has a Mac address association. I've had Mac addresses switched, router switches, everything, rearranged, IP addresses, Comcast, Xfinity Cable, Help Desk, like what in the world? We've never seen this happen before. I've had flood, I have emails being rerouted, text messages, you name it. They got into all this digital because it's all digital. You know, for us, mm -hmm. we're touching our hardware devices, but all this stuff is digital and they're getting into all that. And they, they, would, they would say it, you know, they would, they would change my password to, this camera to this router or reconfigure it to factory settings. And that would require me to go in and recalibrate it again, which took time and frustrated. And, you know, I'm frustrated because what I do, it take an hour to config. They just do it in a blink of an eye. 
you yeah. know, or I get emails and while they're I'm at feeding work. off that. They're feeding off that anger. Yeah, and frustration, they're feeding off frustration. Yeah, I'm getting angry. Tina's shaking her head while she walks by, like, dude. And everybody outside of the world, hey, give us, yeah, give us real data. Give us, you gotta capture it in real time. You gotta capture it in real time. I tell people, it's not because we didn't try. I try it. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, I give myself a good grade on technology and all that, but no, they what they were able to do 24-7, no, I, I, there, there was no, I mean, if I got something, it's because I was lucky. It was because they wanted me to have it. You know, they, they're giving yeah. me crumbs off their table. You know, here, take this, here you go. All right, see if they believe <laughs> that. Yeah. Interesting. No, and it, it totally makes sense, to be honest with you, because one of the things that I have definitely noticed about your story and this is something that I personally look into when I investigate these cases like this, is, first of all, your consistency and your detail. The consistency and the detail of your story has not changed in almost, what, eight years now? You know, it's yeah. the same thing, same detailed information. And it's like, as a researcher, you know, in my in my sector, that's what I look for. I'm like, okay, well, you know, sometimes minute details are going to change, but your full story hasn't. And that is also something that intrigued me because if you're going to create a detailed story like this, you have to give time to that. You have to lay it out. This is what's going to happen here. This, you know, we'll tell this story, that story. And, you know, in the same regard, your story really hasn't faltered. And again, the detail of it is, is pretty immense enough to where you wrote a book on it and you've done the tv shows now i guess that mention of tv shows you have been on more than one and you've been around for a while uh when your case started getting featured locally and then you know internationally or even nationally for that matter when it started picking up steam that way how did all of that kind of like transpire and proceed to a point where hey you know these guys want to come stay the night in your house and put it on tv are you going to be cool with that like how did that, that all work out yeah so um probably about october november 2014 keep in mind at that time we done have, we've already had Three Bibles catch fire, and, and the Bibles catching fire are not the most horrific thing in a, in this in this uh, experience. Not even close. Large objects being thrown, the wall writings. The thing that's most horrific about a poltergeist haunting is the lack of sleep you get. the The bombardment doesn't stop because Keith and Tina got to go to work in the morning. No. They are on you 24-7. They're in, on you in the shower, in your car, ironing your clothes. Pillows are being yanked from underneath your head while you sleep. Your clothes, are, your clothes and your bed sheets are being shredded to confetti while you're wearing it or sleeping over it. So by the time November rolled around, we and the churches or the people helping us, everybody's at their wits in. Nobody wants to throw in the towel. But man, we, we are really making it up as we go now. So the local media, Coma News, caught wind of the story, caught wind of our, our ordeal. And I remember when uh, the reporter came to my house, it was November, I mean, it was October 30th. I knew they would just want to, they just want a trick or treat story. It's like Halloween, let's go do this haunted house story. 
And me and Tina always talk the real deal. What we say happened, it, you best believe it happened like that. So when the van pulled up to my driveway and the reporter and the camera guy walk in, they got this look. They're, all, they're, they're just here for Halloween. It's Halloween, one Halloween story. Also, your house is haunted. Ha, ha, tell us whatever. We're out of here in 20 minutes. And you, I don't know if you've seen that interview. So we're interviewing each other. She's interviewing me. And I'm sure I heard the burnt Bibles, the burnt pages and all that. She's like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of interesting. And she's like, this guy's an IT professional living in this gorgeous neighborhood. I'm not sensing hoaxing like or whatever like I did when I pulled up to the doorway. But when she heard the loud bang herself, she was asking me a question. And this is taped on video of her, her report, not mine. There's a loud bang in the middle of our conversation to where she stops and asks me, what was that? And the look on her face was priceless because the camera's on me, but I can see her looking at dad. And you just and said, I, I told her, you. That's what I told her. I said, that's it. As you're asking me these questions of what it's like to live here, they're answering your question. That loud bang was not for me. That loud bang was for you. And like I said, would you like to go upstairs where all the activity happens? You know, you know, reporters are very nosy, right? Reporters oh, of go course. anywhere, you know? Yeah. Anywhere, you know, they want to make a name for themselves, tape, you know. They want, to, they want to go anywhere. <laughs> and I said, Hey, let's go upstairs. I'll take you to the office. I'll take you. And she said, No, thank you. That's okay. Uh, that's a wrap. <laughs> we know, we're, we're done here. And she told me when the camera was off, she said, I called, uh, she said, I called Dave Schrader on my way here. And I didn't know who Dave Schrader was. She said, I called Dave Schrader and told him I was going to your house and I showed him some of the evidence. You know, some of the claims. She said, Dave told her, you know, go in there, interview the guy, da 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 da. But if it's real, or if you feel it's real, don't venture into the house because you might be followed. And she said, That's why I'm not going upstairs, Keith. I believe you, but uh, this is really freaking me out. That loud bang really freaking me out. And she's hearing the stomping, the pretty path footsteps above our heads. And she's like, But what I will do, she said, What I will do is, uh, I'm going to call Dave, and Dave's going to call you. I'm like, who, who, who's this Dave guy? I said, well, Dave, uh, he, he belongs to Ghost Adventures, and they might be interested in your case. So Dave calls me the next day. I could, you know, he calls me the next day. Dave Schrader calls me. I'm at work. I answer the call. I remember Dave Schrader, da, da, da. And it, it was a very short call for, for them to come to my house. I was like, man, this is the easiest vetting ever because he just <laughs> asked me, you know, who, who you are, what do you do, what's going on. And I'm like, this is who I am, this is what I do. That's what's going on. Okay, we're coming. <laughs> oh, <all right. laughs> it's like, all right, okay. cool, man. Well, okay, all right. But he said, well, we're the, but he said you know, we're, we're, we're the travel channel, and we got this show, and we want to come in and document. We want to document some of this phenomena that you're having. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, And I was thinking, because I never heard of Ghost Adventures. I'm like, and I went to the website. And I said, oh, these guys travel all over wherever. So they must have some deep resources that they can pull. They got they can get tie-ins to everywhere because it's a travel channel. They're on the travel channel. Yeah, and, I, and a lot of people don't realize Ghost Adventures early on used to go travel worldly. They used to go out, out of country. They stopped doing that. Uh, once they took the travel out of the travel channel, it's called a TRVL channel. But So I was like, okay, you guys want to come? All right, whatever. He said, well, you got to clear it with your, your home armor. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we don't own the house. Okay? So I call my homeowner and the question people don't often ask is well what does your homeowner think about your house what is, well it's his house number one he's not living in it 
when I went to him about the phenomena, as well as about Ghost of Versus wanting to come in and research it, he was okay with it. He even said when he replied back to my email, yes, there's probably some nasty spirits in the home who are misbehaving. You have huh. my permission to bring whoever you want in to get to the bottom of things. That's email is in my first and second book, our email exchange. Okay. The homeowner acknowledging that there's probably some nasty spirits in there who are just being unruly and nasty. Yes, you can have ghosts wherever you want to come in. Have them call me. I'll, I'll green light it. And he did. I remember on the phone, David Schrader was very, you know, you sure you're going to get your homeowner to agree to that? I'm like, all I can do is ask them. He said, you sure? Uh, and I knew when I called them the next day, I said, yeah, they said, okay. They were like, what? Okay. So then they came. <laughs> Three to four weeks later, which I thought was pretty quick, because I remember the producer called me. He's like, "Well, we want to get this fast. We want to get this on. We want to get this quick." I'm like, "You guys are moving really quick, you know." All right. So they came, but before they arrived and they flew into Seattle, they sent me their itinerary. Ghost Adventures did. They said, "Hey, we arrive on the scene twofold. We have a B team and an A team. The B team is going to sound weird, but it's true." The B team arrives first. I'm like, what's the B stuff? That's the B roll. The B roll team arrives first. They're going to come stay, or not stay. They're going to visit your home Monday through Thursday. They're going to do B roll stuff. They're going to do interviews, wide shots, all this stuff, reenactments, and stuff like that. That's what they do. And then I'm looking on, I'm reading on the itinerary. It's a PDF. I can send it to anybody because I still have it. And it's in my second book, their itinerary. Zach Baggins, that's called the A team for obvious reasons. They come last. He's going to come Thursday and conduct his investigation, which I knew then or, or know now was called the lockdown. They called the lockdown. You and Tina are going to have to leave the house while they conduct their investigation. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, fine, whatever. But we're going to put you guys up in a hotel and Zach and them. And I'm like, well, how long is the investigation? And I'll pray, five hours. That's it? That's it. That's all they're there for. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm thinking to myself, the team is there three and a half days. Yeah. Five hours. <laughs> It'd be cool if it was the other way around. A team yeah. is there three and a half days living with Keith and Tina, and the B team just be there, you know, whatever. But no, it's not like that. Now, of course, that was never made apparent in the episode. They don't, they don't, Zach and them never voiced through the show how long they spent in an investigation. If you look at it in the show, it makes it look like they spent a considerable amount of time. Not even close, not even close. And I knew then when I told Tina, I said, hey, Tina, they're going to be here five hours. I don't think they're going to get anything. And Tina, like, why you say that? Because number one, it's late November, early December is when they're coming. And that at that time, and it's true, the activity was already tapering off. The activity was already showing signs of lessening. And that's true with Portuguese phenomena is there's a bell curve of activity escalating and de-escalating and then going kaput. So when they came, which is only five hours, but what I did not know was as a result of them not getting anything, we were going to look bad. I thought if yeah. I didn't get anything, like, you know, my friend comes to work. Hey, man, I went fishing. You went fishing? Yeah, I went to Lake Charles. I'm like, I caught 10 fish. i like, you did? You went to Lake Charles? Like, yeah, man, I caught 10 fish. I'm going to go to Lake Charles. So I go to Lake Charles the next Saturday. Hey, Keith, where'd you go last weekend? I went to Lake Charles. Did you catch any fish? No, I didn't catch nothing. You liar. You didn't catch 10 fish. I went there and spent a whole day in Lake Charles. I caught nothing. There's no fish in Lake Charles. One has nothing to do with the other. Okay? I went to Lake Charles because he told me he caught a lot of fish. 
doesn't necessarily guarantee means I'm going to catch a lot of fish. And when I went to Lake Charles, I caught zero. It doesn't negate my friend catching 10 fish. It only means, which every fisherman would tell you, the fish were not biting that day. Yeah. Okay. What was the weather condition you went there? Was it raining? What time? <laughs> what did you do? It's all kind of variables. But it's not right for me to go back to work and call Charles a liar or Charles made it up or he over-exaggerated only because I left empty-handed fishing on Lake Charles. Yeah. And that's what the episode made it look like was Keith and Tina over-exaggerated because Ghost of Fishers went there and got nothing. If it was true, they would have got something, which any paranormal researcher would tell you worth their salt, he or she would tell you, no, that's totally false. That's why it's called a paranormal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, did that leave a bad taste in your mouth for all paranormal research groups? or For uh, about a year and a half, because it, it broke up me and Tina. Tina caught the short end of that stick by how she was portrayed on the episode. The social media blogosphere ripped us to shreds, made Tina to be some demon lady. They mischaracterized her and me and all that. We were viewed as the people who wasted Ghost Adventures time. Can you believe it? We're, we wasted their time. It should be the yeah, way around. Right. Five hours of it, right? <laughs> yeah, we wasted four hours. You know, you, number one, you interviewed me for seven minutes, which speaks to your vetting. I tell people, you know how long Stephen Dawn interviewed me? before they flew from the UK, four months. Exactly. Four yeah. months before yeah. they came, before they felt comfortable enough. Like you just said earlier, your story has not wavered or changed. There's no inconsistency. We've been throwing all kind of different interview angles at you. You've maintained consistency. Now we're going to come. We put you through valuations that you not were aware of. And I wasn't. I wasn't aware of being evaluated. And to where now they made the decision to come. Dave only talked to me in like seven minutes. <laughs> no. So, yeah. so yeah, there, there you go. Then we were viewed as wasting their time. But yeah, it took me, I was very, at that point, I was very burnt out because I, I've heard so much promises from paranormal teams, local and afar, of this is what we're going to do for you. We're going to get to the bottom of it, Keith. We're gonna, even the episode of Demons in Seattle. When Zach says, and we know it was a lie because he says in the episode, we're not leaving until we get to the bottom of things. <laughs> uh-huh. So te- yeah. technically, <laughs> if you got nothing, you should still be there. If you're not yeah, leaving until you get to the bottom of it. <laughs> technically, you know, but you said in an episode and your friend, oh, yeah, Zach is going to get to the, oh, no, you know. So, yeah. Um, and then when the, the Nickies and the Steves reached out to me, yeah, I was very reserved. I, I, I was very reserved to let anybody else in the home. But I was firm in my belief of what we saw and witnessed. And I always felt, and still to this day, felt that what we saw and witnessed and what the previous tenants, Rhonda, uh, who lived in the house 2008, 2009, her family saw and witnessed. I thought then, I told Tina, which played a major role in me while we stayed so long, especially me, I said, somebody out there, I don't know who, Somebody needs to know the going-ons in this house. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's an organization that exists that can handle the goings-on in this house, but it would be sad if there wasn't. So I'm going to try to find whoever exists in an organization 
who can make heads or tails of the goings-on in the inside and outside of this house because this needs to be on somebody's radar, you know? Yeah, definitely. This don't happen every day. This can't be everyday stuff. It would be all over. We'd all be, like, talking Portuguese to each other, you know, on coffee break. So when Steve and them reached out to me, I made it one of the contingents, and they agreed. It was a mutual agreement. I said, nobody's not coming back here unless they live in the house. You're going to have to live. And they're like, why wouldn't we live in the house? Of course we're going to live in the house. I'm like, okay, well, deal, deal. Thank you. Because paranormal teams local to the Seattle area who live in the Seattle area never asked to live in the house. They come in at 11 a.m., they're out by 5 or whatever. When they come at 7 p.m., they're out by 2 a.m. And I was like, no, people want to live in the house because that's the only way you're going to get any interaction with these spirits is by living. They can sit on their hands for two hours, three hours, five hours. Oh, you live and you got your own room. Steve had his own room. Don had his own room. You got to go take a shower, brush your teeth, use your electric razor, and it's not working right. Why is it not working right now? or your own personable items or your personal effects get manipulated or disappear. That's as a result of living in the house. And they did. Steve has his own book and his own report. You've seen it. You see the documentary. Yeah. That's why their investigation is the antithesis to the ghost of Richard's investigation, which I don't even call it an investigation. It was just just a tour de France. It's a little tour of the house. That's about it, man. (laughs) On that note, where can everybody find your book? And by the way, for my listeners, I will have links to all of this stuff in the episode description. So if you just want to scroll down and, and click on it, you can. But Keith, tell everybody where they can find your books and YouTube and everything like that. Yeah. So once again, uh, thank you, Justin, for having me on. And for No, thank you. <laughs> I know we just started talking a few, a few months ago. I'm glad we got this off the ground. But no, yeah. um, your listeners can find my book on Amazon, any country or whatever, but Amazon.com. The Bothell Hell House, Portuguese of Washington State, is part one. It lists the events that we experienced in the house from pretty much from May 2012 to May 2016. Uh, Attachments, part two, which is the second book, Portuguese of Washington State, picks up where book one left off is basically I'm still in the home, but I'm moving. And the three questions are the fundamental questions that uh, need answering still was, why is the house haunted? We'll talk briefly about that today. What was the black oil made out of, the black substance? Uh, we know now. Uh, I had that done, the analysis. Not, I had it done. I go to ventures. They had opportunity, but they didn't seize it. So I had it done. And um, will I be followed? There is a possibility of a haunting such as this. I'm not the first time of the activity following you. We know, full disclosure, spoiler alert, I was followed while living in the Bothell House while traveling abroad on business and work-related stuff. I've been attacked abroad. But what's going to happen once I move? So I move out. Uh, I was Obviously, I'm not living there now. And that question is answered as well. Was I followed? And what are the, dimen- the dimensions to being followed? Is it worse that they attack me Worse as living away from the house or, or less. So all that's in book two. Portuguese, the night side of physics. That's a uh, analytical, theoretical 
analysis of the events of both the Bothell House and Portuguese phenomena overall. A lot of what we witness and other people witness about Portuguese phenomena, some of you listening right now, can attest to objects moving, behaving weirdly, objects materializing out of thin air, objects flying, objects disappearing, reappearing, objects going through solid objects. Uh, believe it or not, there are some interesting, coming out of the quantum physics realm, theoretical analysis or hypothesis as to how poltergeists are able to do that. Are they violating the, the known laws of nature or are they just masters of it? So Poltergeist, the Night Side of Physics, is going to take the reader through that journey. All three books, what makes these books different than any other Poltergeist book, is the evidence is in the books. There's interaction, there's video, there's audio. If I tell you there's an EVP of this and that, and there is, there's links to where you can hear it for yourself. I don't want to just throw things down your throat. I want you to listen to the EVPs. I want you to listen to the three, the kid ghosts, and all that stuff. See the apparitions. So all that's in, in, in all three books. There's links to it. Obviously, if you got the paperback version, you're going to type these links on your computer or your, your iPad or whatever or your phone. But if you got the Kindle versions, you can just click, tap that little blue link. It's going to open up a whole new world for you. My YouTube channel is Keith L. You can just type in Keith L. or Keith Lunder. The documentary, please watch Steve Mara's documentary, Demons in Seattle, Uncovered. Uh, it's free. You know, people are, oh, you're doing it for money, 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 money. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And that's compelling stuff. That is probably, and don't get me wrong, I'm a book guy too, but I love documentaries and especially free ones. So, and that's my, that was my response to the money thing. I'm like, dude, this whole documentary is free. They're not, nobody's charging for it. You can literally watch the it's whole free, thing. Oh, yeah, it's free. <laughs> so, so yeah, there you go. In, in 1080p, watch it, watch the videos in, in the book. If you got Kindle, if you got Amazon Prime, the book's free. The paperbacks are relatively free. I made them so inexpensive because I'm not doing this for money. Yeah. I'm just information sharing. Publishers wanted this book. I told them no. You know, I'm not going to charge a person fifty bucks for a book. That's crazy. Yeah, and I I was surprised at the price. Yeah, when I went to look up your books, I was like, wow, like he's really not making anything off. Yeah, of this. If you go, if you go, it's a movie ticket. Let's think of that much. If you can buy a movie ticket, yeah, you can you can buy the book. I'm talking about two movie tickets. The book is the price of two movie tickets. But if you got Prime on Amazon, it's free automatically. So so no, it's not it's not about money, which is skeptics and cynics love to say, oh, you're doing it for money. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah. Well, uh, Keith, man, I I can't thank you enough for coming on. And I'm glad both of our schedules worked out planning this so far in advance. <laughs> it, uh you know, we of course we had technical difficulties at first for whatever, for whatever reason. reason. I'm still not yeah, sure yeah, about what happened there, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, I tried, guys. I tried. That's right. But no, I appreciate you taking the time, man. I really do. Oh yeah, thank me. Like I said, just let me know if you ever want to have me on again or have more questions. If you're listening to some questions your way, absolutely, send them dude. my way. And thanks, everyone. So yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, you have a good rest of the day and enjoy your Sunday, uh -huh. All right. man. Thank you. Thank you. All okay. right, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, bye.